Uh, let's, let's jump back into the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, today we're going to be talking about joy and peace. So uh, let me see if we got Galatians 5 up there. Let me see if uh, we can see that. Or not. We don't need it. Basically, it says the, the fruit of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And there you see joy and peace. One, uh, joy and peace are very odd. They're, they're, they're very inter- interconnected because they're the two uh, of, these, of the fruit of the Spirit. They're two attributes where it's, it has to do with our relationship to our circumstances and our relationship with God. Okay, our, and let me say that again. Joy and peace both have to do with our relationship to our circumstances in the world and our relationship to God in a way that the other um, attributes don't. And what I mean by that is peace is not just the absence of conflict or war. Okay, uh, so right now, apparently Hamas has launched some uh, terror attacks into Israel. Israel's retaliating. A lot of violence. There's a war going on there. The opposite of that is peace. Yes, but that's not biblical peace. Okay, biblical peace is shalom, and it has to do with our entire life. It has to do with our entire experience of life and our experience of God. Similarly, joy. Joy does not mean happy. You can be very sad and still have joy. Uh, joy instead has something more to do with, uh, with our relationship to our circumstances and our relationship to God. So, for example, you could be grieving deeply and yet still be deeply satisfied with the way things are. And similarly, you could be uh, in a fight with somebody and yet be deeply satisfied, have peace in your life. So joy and peace, they're, they're a little bit deceptive. And I think there's one place that really sums up I mean, the, the ultimate, I think, text for joy and peace in the Bible, and this might surprise you, but I think it's Psalm 23. You may know this, uh, Psalm 23 is probably the, mo- the most famous text in all of Scripture. And what it is, is David, the, David, who was a shepherd boy, is reflecting, and he's like, he's looking out at the world, he's like, this is what life should be like. This is what a life that is marked by joy and peace should look like. So let's read Psalm 23 together, and then we'll, we'll zoom in on some of the important points here. No, uh, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right. Um, my friend John translates this, the, the faithful paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I don't fear evil. You are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a place before me in the presence of my enemies. There it is. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's just, let's, let's, let's break into this and let's see what David's vision, what the Bible's vision for a joyful, peaceful life really looks like. So, so jumping back to the, the first uh, three verses, look at this. I lack nothing. I'm in green pastures. Uh, there's quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. That, uh, that, that text, uh, that Hebrew right there is, um, it's shuv nefesh. Nefesh doesn't mean soul like, an, like the, uh, a disembodied part of us. Nefesh means like our whole life, our entire vitality. And shuv is the regular word for repent, to bring back. 
And so what, what David's imagining himself as, as a sheep, and, and he's imagining that God, by, by bringing him what he needs, provision, sustenance, shelter, that God is bringing him back to a place of deep, powerful vitality, deep strength, deep and in, in thriving life. He guides me along the right paths. I said the faithful paths. It's not as though, um, it's not just that, that God's picking out the right places for us to go. He's, he's doing it in such a way that these paths um, nourish us and, and bring us to the place he wants us to be because they're an extension of his faithful love, which is pretty wild. And then uh, we go on to, to one of the, um, to, to the end, and, and look at this. You prepare a table before me. You anoint my head with oil. Anointing with oil was uh, kind of similar to what we do in the mornings when we um, we take a shower, we shave, we put on makeup. Um, no, I don't, but some of you might. Um, that that uh, kind of our morning ablutions. That's what anointing your head with oil is. And so, in the ancient world, and especially in ancient Israel, when you when you did that, it made your face literally shine. And so you look healthy. You look you look like you're ready to face the day. Uh, my cup overflows. That could be translated. Um, uh, you you provide an ample amount in my cup. So you imagine like a big goblet of wine, not too much, but enough to make sure uh, that the, the feast is a joyful one. The table in the presence of my enemies, the enemies aren't the only ones there, okay? The table, a feast isn't just for you in front of the people that don't like you. No, your family and your friends are there too. But they're there in such a way that the, your enemies, David's enemies are looking and they're like, man, God has really blessed this guy. God has really shown that we wanted his destruction, but God has been good to him. What are we to make of all of this? What is, oh, by the way, a love, if you remember the King James good, goodness and mercy, uh, that again, that Hebrew is hesed, hesed. That's the faithful, committed, never quit, never stop love of God. That's going to be with you all your life. Well, here's a picture of uh, my downstairs bathroom right now. On the top right, you can see there's, uh, there's a place where there should be a toilet. It's gone. Um, to the right of that, there should be like a vanity with like a, with a faucet and a mirror, also gone. Uh, there's water all over the ground there. The floor has been taken up. Uh, farther along, there's uh, more areas where there's water uh, right now because um, we have some kind of leak. We don't know. All week, the plumbers have been out and the restoration people try to figure out what's going on. Everyone's confused at a loss. We only know that, that things are bad. Um, and, and so I've been talking to people like, man, that's the worst. I can't believe you're going to. I'm like, yeah, this is real bad. So it's rough. I, cer- I certainly don't want to be doing this for, for much longer. And, and pretty soon the jackhammers are going to come out in force to try and find the, the, the leak. And if that doesn't work, I don't know. I guess we're just going to burn the house down and start over. Um, but the solar panels are up, so we're good on that. Um, that was also, there was like drilling. <laughs> oh, man, it was a crazy week at the Bennett household. Very loud. Um, what's interesting, though, is, is even though that's happening, we're down to one bathroom, which Alice just turned 12, and she's like, she's in that zone where it's like four hours to get ready. <laughs> um, so that it's challenging, I'm not going to lie. But... Isn't it interesting that, that not one of my kids has missed a meal this week? You know? Isn't it interesting that they um, have incredibly good 
relationships with friends and family. We just celebrated um, birthdays for, on Friday, we had uh, Soren turn five last month, I think. Um, uh, Alice turned 12 on Friday. Aaron turned, um, well, on September, Aaron turned 29. And so we were, we were celebrating that. It was awesome. It was really cool. You know, we had pizza and And doesn't that, doesn't that kind of look like a, a, it's a, it's a vision of peace? That even in the midst of the fact that, yeah, it's pretty chaotic, you know, people running in, banging on things and smashing stuff, uh, cutting holes in the, in the wall and all the things, even though that's going on, there's still a sense in which this, this is, we're doing okay. We have enough. We have enough of all of the things that really matter. We're being infused with life daily, vitality daily. That is the, the biblical vision of, of Shalom. That's Psalm 23. It's, it's simple, right? Like, it's not as though, you know, the, the, the sheep, David the sheep is living in a mansion. He doesn't have, like, three different pools. He doesn't ride to work in a helicopter. But he has everything he needs. He has enough. And that's the first thing in your note sheets. Peace. Peace is having enough of what makes life worth living. It's having enough of what makes life worth living. And, and that, that does, that brings up, that should bring up some questions for us because we live in the exact opposite of a peaceful, shalom-centered culture, right? If, if there's one thing that, that Orange County is known for, it's like, more stuff, you know? It's, it's, a, it's, it's there's never enough. It, it, if, you, if you're satisfied, if you don't have a growth mentality, then you're no good. And so that, 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 that's the first question. I mean, are you at peace? Do you have enough? Why or why not? Because David seems to think, David seems to think that it doesn't take much to have shalom. We're conditioned to think the exact opposite. That if we don't get that downstairs bathroom perfectly fixed and all of the pipes repiped and all of the new flooring and all the things, if we don't get that, we're living in chaos. So the next thing is desire. Man, desire is like the antithesis of peace. Now, I'm not saying that we should be Buddhists. I think Buddhism is wrong, the, the, the idea that we should... Uh, purge ourselves of desire. I think desire is, is a God-given thing. I think it's important that God built us to be people who get hungry, right? Who, who crave intimacy. People who uh, want to get tired. Desire is a good thing. But if desire gets out of control, you will be miserable. Desire is meant to be uh, controlled. It's meant to be in its proper place. And, and when it's in its proper place, that simple enough will be enough. And last thing, peace is a gift. It's not something we achieve. Okay, This is something God gives us. Uh, if, if you're out there like trying to get peace, clawing your way to a place of contentment, of having enough and being okay with where God has set you, you're missing it. It's something that God plants in our hearts when we 
love and see him. And it's actually deeply related to joy, okay? Joy is, is, is going to, to impact the way that we experience or don't experience peace. So let's go back to the text. Um, and let's, let's look here at, uh, at, at joy. All right, the Lord is my shepherd. That is a profound statement. It's profound because it's totally counterintuitive. Now it goes on, and it, this part uh, is worth looking at a little bit more deeply, the, the bit about the, um, the, the dark valley and not being afraid. And if you're familiar with like the older translations, it's um, the, the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil. Uh, that's that, The reason they did that is the, the translators of the King, King James Version used um, the, the Septuagint's Greek because they didn't, they didn't know what this word meant. Um, the word, and the word, if you look at it, it's actually two Hebrew words put together. One means um, uh, darkness and the other one, uh, or death, and the other one means valley. They're two words separate. You put them together and they say, oh, well, a valley of death, Right? That seems reasonable, except that that's not how language works. So, for example, if you took the two words park and way and you put them together and you thought, ah, I know what to do on a parkway, you would get into an accident because you would stop and everyone else would keep going. Even though the word individually park means stop uh, and way means go or or uh, road, place of, of going, when you put them together, English is just odd. It just means uh a place where you go. Well, once you look at the other places where this word is used in the Old Testament, specifically Isaiah 9.1, for those of you keeping track, you'll find that it actually means something more like impenetrable gloom. Like a, a, a darkness that you just can't get through. Why am I bothering with that? Well, I will tell you. Uh, I have a picture here of a, of a, a, a sheep. Sheep are, I mean, they're cute until you see one in real life and then they smell very bad. Um, and a lot of people have thought over the years that sheep are dumb. That's the, the that's not true. They, they say now that depending on the breed, like um, most sheep are about the same intelligence as a pig, which is a pretty intelligent mammal as far as things go. Uh, we had Caden just a, like six weeks ago was preaching and he did a, a really sweet bit on sheep and what that means for us as Jesus being the good shepherd. And I just want to add a little bit um, because it's important for this text. One of the things about sheep is that they have almost no depth perception. Uh, scientists have like checked their eyes and they figured out. And the, the, there's a consequence for this. When a sheep is walking along, the thing that scares sheep the most is darkness. So because the sheep is like, ah, what's there? To them, it looks like nothingness. And so when, if a sheep is walking along a path, right, and suddenly a, a really dark shadow comes away, the sheep will stop, jump back, and then instinctively uh, try to go up a hill, like find higher ground, because that's where the light will be. That's kind of their instinctual movement. And so when, when David says, even in the darkest valley, even in a place where there's an impenetrable gloom, no light, I'm still not afraid. Why? Another interesting thing about sheep is that they, uh, they remember human faces. So if a sheep gets to know you and you spend time with it like a shepherd does, the sheep can recognize your face, even if you're gone, up until like the day before the sheep dies. They remember human faces and they develop connections with humans. And David knows this because he was a shepherd. He recognized that the sheep recognized who he was. He didn't have to call out to them. They would just see him and they would know him. 
and they would trust him because time and again, David had defended them from lions and predators. He had brought them to places where they could graze. Sheep trust the person that they connect to. And so what David is saying is he's like, he's like, I, I have, I've seen you, God, my shepherd, my good shepherd, and I've come to know you. And I've come to know you so deeply that I know you will protect me. You will guide me even in the scariest, most difficult trials. My job is to stop being hard-headed. My job is to stop trying to make my own way. My job is just to accept the fact that I'm a lamb. That all I'm supposed to do is recognize you and follow you. And when that happens, I can be deeply satisfied, deeply at peace, deeply enmeshed in joy, even when things are hard. That's the next thing on your note sheets. Joy begins with knowing that we're sheep. We're made to follow and trust the good shepherd. If you want to be deeply satisfied with your circumstances and your relationship with God, you have to remember you're not what you think you are. You are a sheep. And you are meant to trust and follow and that's important. That brings up some questions because, again, just as with shalom, just as with peace, peace, we live in a culture that is absolutely 100% of the opposite, right? The culture, what does it say? I mean, the, 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 the culture, and I've been talking to Caden about this quite a bit. We've been talking about worldviews and the way that the West has developed. And American culture and really Western culture in general at this point is 100% like, okay, Live out your authentic self. Like, so look inside, find out who you really are and what you really want, and then go and live that to, you know, to the extremes. And, and anyone who gets in your way, just move them out, cut them off. Like, don't worry about it. What you're supposed to do is self-actualize. You're the God of your own story. The story is yours. You're the one who's in charge. Go live. David says that is the exact opposite of the way to find joy. Because it goes 100% counter to everything you've been designed to do and be. And so, you know, it's worth questioning. Do I see myself as the captain of my own destiny? Sometimes I do. And that has implications. Well, it means if if I'm in charge, then... But if instead what I'm really supposed to do is recognize the shepherd, know that I'm just supposed to trust and follow, maybe there's a deeper satisfaction for me. Next thing, how much do we trust the shepherd when things get dark? It's a tough one. Um, you know, we like sheep um, are gone astray. We like sheep are easily frightened. We respond to danger. We respond to failure. We respond to sin. We respond to loss. And we run. And then we get caught in more confusion. We get caught in more bushes and more brambles. 
David says, I remember when the sheep knew my face. And Jesus says, my sheep, they recognize me. And the idea is when you're looking into the face of the good shepherd, you know, the, the darkness, it recedes. It goes off to the side. And guidance and trust and confidence replace it. So let's, uh, let's go back uh, to the text. You prepare a place, a table before me in the presence of my, you anoint my head with oil. Your goodness and love will follow me. I will dwell in the house of who? Yahweh's house forever. You, 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 you. <laughs> one, of the, one of the craziest things about us is that we think joy is something that we're gonna manufacture. But what is David saying? He's like, no. Who's doing everything? God! We think we're in control. We think we're, you know, running the show. We think all these, and the only thing that we do, we could go back to the beginning, right? He leads me to the still waters. He does this. He does that. The only thing that we're doing is responding to God's movement. All we have to do is live in, not our house, Yahweh's house, God's house. I... Um, so I just said, Alice turned 12. Um, so she's not a teenager yet, but she might as well be. And one of the things I've noticed, and, and you don't, they don't tell you this. I mean, I think you, we all assume that we know it, but you, you have to live through and experience it. But uh, when ki- as kids get older, your relationship with them changes. And I mean, that should be obvious, but I, I never thought when Alice was, you know, four years old, I never thought about what it was like about the fact that, you know, like snuggling was something that would probably end. Um, I'm not a huge touch person, uh, but there's something about your kids. I think I have a picture here. Yeah, snuggle time. Um, There's something about it where it's like, it's just, I don't know, it's cool. And I I, I just, I've just been thinking about this because I know that it would be weird to be like, hey, Alice, jump in bed. Let's, but it's not weird with Soren. He's five. And so I've done, taken to this thing where I, I try to wake up uh, early with the rest of the family. And not because I want to help do anything, but because <laughs> I, I do, okay, I try, I try, I try. Uh, but what I like to do is before Soren wakes up, I like to uh, go into his room and like, and, and, and kind of crawl over him and then just kind of do one of these. He hates it. He's like, you're ruining my bed. And I'm like, oh, all right. So what we do then is like, okay, I'll get out of your bed. He's like worried I'm going to mess with like the, I think he doesn't want me to move his blankets or his stuffed animals. I don't know. So then I'm like, hey, okay, buddy. Well, while, you know, the bath's not ready yet, Alice and Weewa, they're doing heaven knows what. Mommy's stressed. Why don't you come to our bed? He loves this. And we can just sit there for like, you know, we probably get maybe five minutes before he, like, has to run, do something. But during that time, like, just get to... And, and what, what blows my mind about it is that he, he just loves receiving that. You know? And it, it reminds me of back when I was a kid. Uh, when, I think I've told you before, one of the things that my dad and I used to do is after school we would get home and we would throw the baseball or the football for like five, 10, 15 minutes, something like that. And it was just, and and what I remember about it was being like, it's just 
here's this guy that I think is like so awesome um, because I'm not old enough to know that he's a human being like the rest of us, but he's so great. And yet he wants to just spend time with me and just be with me. And, and, and that like, it just, it just, it just changes you. It changes you to experience that. And I see it, you know, in my, in my own kids and, and, and presumably there's still ways that I can relate to Alice and, and do, you know, to, to elicit that. But the whole Psalm 23, the whole poem, David's just like, look at what you do for me. I just love it when you lead me. And when you say, here, here's enough for you. I just love it when, when things look dark and I just look in his face and I'm like, he's going to make it okay. I, I just love it when, when I, I don't lift a finger and then he just prepares this huge feast, my family and friends vindicating me in front of those who would do me harm. When he, he's the one who, like, who makes my face shine. Like he just loves being with me. He just loves me. Joy. That is the simplest, purest form of joy. Next thing in your note sheets. Joy consists in simply receiving the good shepherd's love. It's not something we do. It's just something we enjoy. If we just look at the circumstances of life and we see God's hand of providence and his, his desire to be with us and be for us, it's just joy. And that's the day-to-day joy, knowing that that's who God is. Even when things are rough and chaotic, and we're singing that song, you know, you have joy in chaos. Even when that's happening, just to know, here's the God who gives himself eternally for us who won't quit no matter what, whose love, whose mercy is committed and faithful and never stops. I'm going to skip the questions, Marilyn, just go back to the text here. Um, this is, the, this is a, the, the key bit. So God has lavished this love on us, right? The first, the first thing we learn about joy, it begins when we say, you know what, I'm not in charge. I'm not the captain of my destiny. I'm just a sheep. I'm just going to trust. I'm just going to follow. I'm just going to get to know you. And then the day-to-day joy comes from us meditating and receiving God's faithful, committed love in the, all the different ways that we experience that. From, from thinking about the sacrifice of Jesus uh, to seeing the way that he provides and gives us everything we need. Here's the last thing, though, because what we've kind of been saying is that, yes, peace and joy seem to be connected to our circumstances, but we can have them even when circumstances go off, go off the rails, And here's the key to that. The key is, I know, I'm confident, David says, I am going to dwell in God's house forever. The Hebrew there behind forever is, uh, it's two words for long. Um, The way that Hebrew poetry works is it works through intensifiers. And so if you want to say that that God is great, you say God is big, large, good, right? It's like you compound these things. And, and similarly here, when, when David's saying how long he's going to be in God's house, he says long, long, long in different, different words for long. Long stretched, 
we might say in English, something like that. And so the, the translator is not quite sure to, to do that because in the Old Testament, it doesn't really talk about heaven that much. And yet, there's a sense in, so, so you might, it might be translated something like, you know, for a really long time. But that doesn't quite capture the, the intensity of the poem. And, and so I think it's a really good way to translate, say, forever. Because whether David's thinking about heaven or not, we should be. We should be. We should say, here's God faithful throughout my life, loving me, leading me, receiving me, or me receiving his love, and yet and, and feasting and all of the things, enough to make, a, 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 just having enough of what makes life worth living, all of those things, and yet it doesn't stop here. I will dwell, I will live in Yahweh's mansions forever. This is critical, and the reason for that, I have a picture of um, one of my mentors, Marianne Fisher. Um, I talk about her from time to time because she had a huge impact on my life. Uh, that's uh, Mr. Grimm's mom, Lloyd. Lloyd here, Mr. Grimm at, at school. It's uh, Lloyd's mom. Also, I look great in that picture. I mean, the years have not been kind. <laughs> anyway, uh, um, <laughs> At the end of her life, uh, Marianne was given a cancer diagnosis, and she she mentored me. She mentored uh, Doug, Mr. Harrison, our, pa- our worship pastor. She mentored a lot of people, and she lived um, as you know as as faithful and saintly a life as as uh, you can see. She had her issues. Don't get me wrong; like she wasn't perfect. I'm well aware of that. But what struck me most about the end of her life was she was battling cancer. What two years? Um, and over that time, those of us who knew her and loved her, we watched her waste away, essentially. Um, we, let's not sugarcoat it. And what you expect uh, from people during that time who are like, saints, we're holy, is be like, oh, I'm so happy that I have this cancer. Thank you, God. And like, just chipper. And she had her days like that, don't get me wrong. But I remember a number of times going over to her place, um, just spending time with her, and and, and her... Her just saying, Tom, I, I honestly, I just don't know how much longer I can do this. This is bad. Being downcast. And for me at the time in my 20s, being like, oh, can we talk about happier things? And, and she would be like, but you know what? This is just a stepping stone. I don't like what I'm going through. I don't know how long it's going to last. But he is good. He is enough. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's joy. That's joy when it's really bad. That's peace when it's really bad. That's Psalm 23. That's the fruit of the Spirit. What we're looking for is to become, to fall so in love with Jesus and so confident in him that no matter how bad it gets, we're satisfied because he's going to be with us for eternity. 
It's the last thing on your note sheets. Joy persists in trial with confidence in the good shepherd's eternal care. We're going to close today with uh, It Is Well With My Soul. Um, if you don't know the origins of this hymn, I think the, the author, I think he lost his family at sea. Like everyone in his family, his wife, children, um, they, yeah, they never showed up. There was a storm, boat capsized. He loses everything. And yet, because of his firm confidence in who God is and what eternity will be, he says, I'm not happy, but it is well with my soul. I have joy in chaos. I have peace that makes no sense. Let's pray. Gracious God and Father, we thank you so much for your love. Jesus, we praise you for being the good shepherd. You tenderly guide us. You give us enough of everything that makes life worth living. You pour out your love in so many different ways. And you promise to care for us in eternity. Holy Spirit, pull out of us joy and peace. Joy that's, that's just not, that's not affected by circumstances, but instead is a deep satisfaction with how things are and who we are because of you. Holy Spirit, pull out from us peace uh, that makes no sense, peace that passes um, all understanding because we have enough in you and we're grateful and confident in what you're doing. May this fruit characterize our congregation. May the world look in and say, gosh, man, I want that. May we be transformed into the image of Christ. And may our joy and peace never end. Jesus, we pray these things in your name. Amen.